This is the Walking Home from the ICU podcast. I'm Kelly Dayton, a nurse practitioner and ICU consultant. I help teams create awake and walking ICUs through evidence-based sedation and mobility practices. By hearing from survivors, clinicians, and researchers, we'll explore how to give ICU patients the best chance to walk out of the ICU and go home to survive and thrive. Welcome to the ICU Revolution. want to tell this story for someone that cannot tell it themselves. A few months ago, we were blessed to admit a wonderful young man with Down syndrome, autism, and a cognitive function level of a two to three-year-old. We will call him James. James came into the ICU for severe mycoplasma pneumonia, and as soon as he rolled in, he was intubated, requiring FiO2 of 80% and a PEEP of 16 or 18 in the ventilator. The moment after intubation was pivotal. As things still are in our critical care world, I suspect that normally there either would have not been a discussion and he would have automatically been deeply sedated or this discussion would have been, this kid is going to be impossible to manage with his cognitive disabilities. We'd better sedate him. Yet this team had a different perspective. His safety and tolerance of the ET tube was of the utmost importance. Yet they were able to stand at the watchtower and see the big picture, the end from the beginning. They knew that if he was sedated, he would not be walking. With Down syndrome and a baseline low muscle tone, what would happen to him? If he became weaker, Would he be able to be extubated? Would that destine him to a tracheostomy and LTAC admission? Would he be able to regain that strength and be physically independent again? They knew that if they were to sedate him, he would be much more at risk of developing ICU delirium. With his autism and sensory sensitivities, what would it be like for him to have hallucinations and scary delusions? What kind of trauma and PTSD would that cause him? They understood that sedation and ICU delirium would sign him up for cognitive deficits down the road. With a baseline capacity of two to three years old, would that take away his ability to play with his favorite toys, feed himself, play with his brother and his dog? Surely it would be easier for the staff to have him comatose, but would it be worth it? Could we rationalize the damage it would cause him? They asked the questions that Dr. Ely poses. What can we do for him, not to him? If you've been listening to this podcast, you're likely convinced that sedation and mobility practices in the ICU need to change. The ICU community is facing incredible difficulty with the trauma from the pandemic, staffing crisis, and burnout. We cannot afford to continue practices that result in poor patient outcomes, more time in the ICU, higher healthcare costs, and greater workload for the ICU team. Yet the prospect of changing decades of beliefs, practices, and culture across all disciplines of the ICU is a daunting task. How does this transformation start? It can begin with a consultation with me to discuss your team's current practices 
barriers and to formulate a plan to help your ICU become an awake and walking ICU. I help teams master the ABCDEF bundle through education, consulting, simulation training, and bedside support. Let's work together to move your team into the future of evidence-based ICU care. Click the link in the show notes of this episode to find out more. Fortunately, this team saw him as more than a pair of sick lungs. They had lots of experience and tricks up their sleeves. They did put him on Presidex for the night, and in the morning, it was off and never went back on. They moved him to a room that had a couch for the parents to sleep on. The parents took shifts during the day and the night and were the familiar faces for him. They had a sitter at night to hold his hand. The staff built a tent over his bed like the one he sleeps in at home. He was restrained but still able to play with his toys and iPad. As long as he had his favorite cartoons, music, iPad, toys, parents, and a hand to hold, he was happy. He did not express any anxiety or fear. He was allowed to continue to be himself, and the team embraced and even celebrated his individuality. Even at home, He loved to cross his legs. In bed in the hospital, he would sit with his legs crossed. Rocking was a way for him to soothe himself and express joy. He would sit in bed and rock. When he was walking on the ventilator, he would stop, sit, and cross his legs like he always does. Everyone understood that that was his style, so they would let him. They would just stop and wait until he was ready to pop back up and keep walking. It was his thing. He continued to walk three times a day. After 11 days on the ventilator, he was successfully extubated. After a few days, he walked out of the hospital and went straight home with his family. He did go home with a feeding tube for likely baseline aspiration. He continued to work with speech therapy outpatient and was able to eat again a week after. It was in that pivotal moment after intubation And throughout his stay, that this team determined James's quality of life. Was it more work to have him awake? Sure. Would it have been easier to have him motionless? Of course. Would his outcomes have been different with different treatment? Without a crystal ball or any wish to go back and try it a different way? I firmly believe that James's outcomes were changed by how he was managed. I strongly suspect that if he had been sedated and immobile, he would have become a classic trach and pake patient sent to LTAC. So was it worth it? Everyone on the team deeply felt that it was worth it. This is why we signed up for this. We want our patients to succeed. We want to advocate for and defend the defenseless. This team saw James as a whole. They saw what value mobility and function had in his life and in his family. They knew their why, and they found the how for James and his family. If you want to join in on the conversation, leave a voicemail at 801-784-0472 or reach out to me on Twitter.
schedule a consultation for your ICU, as well as find supportive resources such as the free ebook, case studies, episode citations, and transcripts, please check out the website, www.daytonicuconsulting.com.